And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, it's party time. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Ross, CFP. Danny Ratliff, CFP. Thanks for being with us this morning. And thanks for the guy I named Swervy in front of me this morning, taking up all three lanes in his little Camry. Someone has been hitting the holiday eggnog really early. So here's to you, Swervy. You gotta be, you have to have more than two eyes on Houston Roads. You gotta have two eyes, two, four, six, eight, at least eight to drive around here. I can't disagree. You should have seen this guy. It's like he owned the road. He's in the right lane, then he swerves over to the middle lane, then he's in the left lane, then he comes all the way back, and I'm just staying behind him, and I'm just watching him dance and trying to figure out how do I get past him. Here's to you. <laughs> Sometimes you just may want to be behind those guys. I don't know. Well, I had a speed. Uh, he was he was actually going at this steady cadence. So he was sort of, sort of like a little dance. He was like a little butterfly. He was floating from one lane to the other. So I managed to get between. As soon as he got over to the right, I whoop, passed him. So, yep, one of those days. I've seen you drive. So that's saying something. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm going down the highway. I look over. There's Rich in the far right lane getting ready to exit. But no, he doesn't exit. He keeps going. I keep going. At, yeah. a, at a cruising at about, what, 55, 60? Yeah. Stay in you the know. speed limit. Yeah. So if you pass this guy, what I'm getting at, that is super impressive. He must have been going slower than what you're thinking. He was going slow. Well, this morning I was driving like 70. So there's nobody on the road. Everybody's taking off. Huh? How much coffee did you have? I didn't have much coffee. Yeah. But again, I mean, uh, roads were quiet, except for Swervy. So um, <clears throat> it's that time of year again. Oh. Well, first of all, it's the, hopefully we're into the seasonality of wonderful stock returns. That would be nice. We've seen Danny, the 10-year yield drop precipitously. Ooh, said that pretty well today. Precipitously. Over the last week or so. That's been nice. I don't like this stock bond correlation connect. This always bothers me. But hey, as long as people are getting returns, S&P open 11, uh, implied open, Dow 105, NASDAQ close to 10. So we'll see if we can uh, keep this up today. That would be nice. I think the interesting thing about that is at what point does they, do they uncorrelate? There's going to become a time if the yields continue to drop, I know we think this is great. We're in this Goldilocks period, but at some point, I think the market's going to take notice and they're going to say, I, hey, whoa, yeah. something else is going on out here. I think so. I don't know what, but I, I, I'm afraid to think about what causes the disconnect. <laughs> I mean, the kumbaya moments seem to be the most calm moments where everything is copacetic. Yields are falling, stock prices are rising. 
I also do think that the market is pricing in a rate cut way, 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 did I say way? Too soon. I do not see this. I do not see this pivot so quickly. I may be the only one, me and Larry Summers, in a corner like little girls crying, that do not see a pivot. I don't know. I'm, I'm listening. You know, I listen to a lot of different news. I mean, uh-huh. we're listening to earnings calls. We're listening to, um, you know, different firms and what they're thinking and saying, just trying to get a lot of different information. And, you know, from some of the big institutions right now, there's a couple that have actually come out and said, hey, it won't be as quick as what we expect. I know, but it doesn't seem like the market's digesting that very well. Maybe it's just because the, the hiking has stopped, although I am in the camp that we have one more hike. Labor markets are stubborn. Stubborn. I'm reading a new book about transfer payments and how much of a percentage of income that is of the United States. We rival France, by the way, in transfer payments. Um, the lower well, Explain what that is to most people. Well, government handout, Correct. right? It could be... I mean, Social Security, it could be whatever it is, but it's just the amount of benefit that's available to families today uh, in the form of social safety nets. And again, some people need them. I'm all for it. Uh, but again, you look at the percentage of the population on these social safety nets versus people working and paying taxes, and I cannot believe they, they ranked in this book um, where we stand in the United States versus Europe. And I was shocked to see where we are. We, France is a shade higher than we are as far as the amount of benefit that is provided. So um, that tells me with all the cash in the system from the stimulus programs, the, the infrastructure program, there's still a lot of cash. People are still spending. The labor market's stubborn. So I am in this camp where rates are higher for longer uh, on the short end. And unless something, you know, uh, why is the Fed going to cut rates unless there's a reason to do it? Like, in other words, I'm hearing things like, Danny, like, were they going to cut rates because the economy is slowing? Why would I cut rates if the economy is slowing? Why wouldn't I look at certain metrics? I mean, I understand this Fed's quick on the, quick on the trigger for stuff like this because they, you know, they don't want, they want to try to avoid business cycle and recession. But I, I don't know. I just don't see March, April as the time for this to happen. I don't know. I've been, I've been trying to think a lot about this, especially after yesterday with Walmart. You know, Walmart comes out, beats earnings expectations, uh-huh. actually increases their forward guidance for next year. Yes. But their guidance in the sense of what the retailer, they said the last two to three weeks of October, they started to know, notice a weakening in the retailer. And their thought was, their CFO comes out and says, hey, we may see deflation. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen deflation. And, you know, we get these numbers and we get a lot of calls. People say, well, listen, I know we were at nine and we're at three. I'm still going to the grocery store and things are still very expensive. Nothing is coming down in price because we're still seeing growth in inflation and prices, right? Right. But it's not as quick. Now, deflation, though, I thought that was a pretty quick to use that word right now. Yeah, I agree. So I'm wondering what they're really seeing underneath the surface. And if we're going to see deflation... What are companies more prone to do? You know, we've had this stubborn job market, right? which is great. We don't want to see people out of work. No, absolutely not. It's been great that people have jobs. But do you think companies are going to be more inclined to cut prices or people? Oh, absolutely, people. And, you know, I guess from Walmart's perspective, by the way, we did start a position in Walmart yesterday in the weakness because I think we think it was overdone. Which most people do, by the way, I think. Yeah, I, absolutely. From what I've been hearing. Um, 
but keep this in mind, deflation from a Walmart perspective is, think about the goods, understand they have a pretty robust grocery section. And to your point, I do not see prices on the things we use every day. What we need to do to keep a roof over our heads, ensure those roofs, those, I don't think that's going to change. What is going to change is the <clears throat> crap that Walmart sells for the most part. I mean, there is deflation because of supply chain that's been fixed to some degree of goods, of discretionary goods people buy, right? Televisions, stuff like that that you can't eat, put on your table. I mean, I could see deflation in clothing prices, you know, those kinds of things. I just can't see it in the stuff that you need to survive every day. I don't know, Rich. I mean, I'm spending a little more amount of money. Yeah. Eating the same stuff. I'm losing weight. That's a country song somewhere. I'm kidding, but no, but everything no, but no, is getting smaller. It you is. Know? Everything I mean, is getting smaller. The cream in the Oreo is not what it was. Just ask Lance Roberts. Hey, the Bartaball Turkey Talk Line. We're going to talk a little bit about it when we get back. Gobble, gobble. We're back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So the Butterball Turkey Talk Line has been around since 1981. And since 1981, Rich Rosso has been calling, prank calling them, because I was the king of prank calls when I was a kid. And I just continue that today. The hotline received in the first year 11,000 calls, six operators. So there's a list of some of the craziest questions, the zaniest customer questions. I'm proud to say there are two of them that are mine <laughs> on this list. So, so why don't you tell us what they are, and we'll guess which ones are yours. Well, I'm there are a lot I'm of them, know. but I've got two new ones for this year that I'm calling with. You want to hear my new ones? I want to hear the old ones first. Okay, can I base my turkey with suntan lotion? That's, that's one of mine. <laughs> they must be in Texas. Uh, now, here's some funny ones. How do I roast my turkey so it gets golden brown tan lines in the shape of a turkey bikini? <laughs> Why does my turkey have no breast meat? That sounds like something mine would say. Um... This was one of mine. The family dog is inside the turkey and can't get out. <laughs> what do I do? I, my my collie's got his head stuck in the turkey and I can't get it out. Ma'am, we'll try to help you as best we can. So this year, I've got two. Well, here's a few others. Uh, can I slow roast a turkey for three or four days? I don't want to touch the giblets. Can I fish them out with a coat hanger? <laughs> the turkey in my freezer is 23 years old. <laughs> is it safe to eat? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The, the, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what the people on the other end of the line <laughs> think. They're like, I'm getting paid. Well, to every do year this I post on Facebook my list, my, my greatest list, but I've got two for this year. The first question is, Miss Miss Turkey. That's what I call them, Miss Turkey, when I call. Yeah. 
Is white meat or dark meat worse for the planet and the climate? Can you tell me? <laughs> That's my first one this year. My oh, second one this you. year is, my turkey seems to identify with a pot roast. Do I need to cook it any different? <clears throat> so those are my two for this year. So, so when you make these phone calls each year, uh-huh. do they laugh? Do they just they try, they to, try to take seriously? it seriously? Yeah. 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 But this is, is there serious. a live person or is it Stop. recorded? No, it's live people. Men and women. <laughs> I'm like a tradition. They're looking for your call. Oh, they've got him on caller ID. You know, like, all right, who's going to pick up this one? I don't one? even care. <laughs> it's just that. Again, they get 100,000 questions. They got 50 experts now through November and December. They don't pay those people enough. They do not pay them enough. It's actually what I call. How many experts? 50. 50. Yeah. That's quite a phone bank. What is the training involved to be a turkey? This is a this is a, this is a Danny because he's manly man, manly man. This is Danny's question. I carved my turkey with a chainsaw. Is the chain grease going to adversely affect my turkey? <laughs> no. I thawed my turkey out in front of the Stephen Colbert show, and now it smells bad, and it seems to be crying. Well, that's that's kind of disgusting. <laughs> Oh, man. The turkey in the freezer for 23 years. I'm thinking that's not good. Mm. I'm thinking that's not good. Yeah, the family dog's head stuck inside the turkey is really one of my finest ones. <coughs> hey, so we talked a lot about spending. Yeah. You were here in the, the spending season, right? MasterCard oh, just released a lot of data. It looks like they say? year over year, everything's up except for furniture spending. People are spending money. Yeah, restaurants like 8%. I'm telling you, Danny, like we said, some switch in people's heads, no money in emergency savings, a trillion dollars on credit cards, and we're, it's some sort of apocalyptic spending. Like, no matter what. And I think it's because people have jobs. I also will give you a theory which has no basis in any kind of economics. Look at the Consumer Sentiment Index. I think people spend when they're feeling good, but I also think people spend a lot when they feel bad. And these sentiment indexes do not look like people are very happy. So I think we, we medicate with spending. And uh, so I don't used know. used to window shop and now people just shop. Well, you just break a window and take the stuff now. But uh, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to figure out what happens. You know, it, it, this is a slow-moving train that's headed for a wreck, uh, like Swervy on the road today. I don't know how long consumers can keep this up. And to your point earlier, sooner or later, you're going to get to the point where unemployment rate goes up. You would think if, if Walmart truly thinks you're going to see deflation. Yeah. I, I would think that you're going to have to I see mean, something and listen, else. They're, I mean, they're so pervasive. I think I, I shared this story a while back, but... <clears throat> I was shocked when I walked into Walmart because I had this image of Walmart. When I walked into Walmart and saw how well-stocked it was with goods that they usually would not carry, sort of a bit higher end, brighter, cleaner, I was really surprised. It was not the Walmart that's in my mind that I recall. So the the CEO has done a really great job, and they've also picked up the e-commerce quite a bit so they've been aggressive on e-commerce 
and they're doing a great job. Maybe but, this is a new marketing scheme to get more people in. They used to have, what, falling prices, and now instead they've, you know, hey, it's literal falling prices. Come check it out. I don't think most people understand what deflation is. Well, but, but, but I also, you know, you look at what they've been mentioning, which over the last year, they said, listen, the demographic of high-income earners has increased substantially of people who did not step foot in Walmart previously are doing so now. Absolutely. So I do the parking lot indicator, right? I'm looking at the parking lot and looking at the cars in the parking lot. And yeah, there's some, you know, older models, but there are a lot of higher end automobiles of people shopping. Well, didn't they come up with a study not too long ago that people making what, 100,000 or more? Yep. We're shopping at Walmart now. But I always find the car indicator difficult because I see you go through some neighborhoods that are. I know it's just the know, neighborhood, where, maybe. Too. But but you go through some neighborhoods that you know homes are okay, they're nice, but um, you know, and they've got a hundred thousand dollar car in the driveway or two of them, and then you go into some of the really nicer neighborhoods. They may have some nice cars, but a lot of these people are driving you know cars they've had for ten years, right? Yeah, they're they're looking at things a little bit differently, and priorities may be different. So that that indicator for me is always difficult. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. And again, I also think it's because of people were saying, well, because the economy is getting so bad that people that make six figures are shopping at Walmart. But I will also argue it's the work that's been done by the CEO to change that image. And I'll tell you, that's like turning the Titanic. I mean, he's done a great job. Yeah. They have done a great job changing the image of Walmart. I also like the fact that Walmart has stayed out of politics. Look at the look at the returns, even with Walmart getting derailed and Target up the other day. Look Man, at what the, a difference! Look too. at the year to date. Yeah, look at the year to date returns or the one year returns on Walmart versus Target. Sometimes it's best to just focus on your business. Yeah, and I also love when I'm getting gaslit by the t- the CEO of Target saying that. Oh, customers really appreciate everything being locked up. Mm-hmm. Which customer is enjoying the fact that I can't get to the stuff that I need without calling a representative? Yeah. I don't think, <clears throat> and only it doesn't. The, only the kleptomaniacs. Well, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. We went to went to Home Depot after church the other day. Michelle drops me off. I run in, take one kid with me. And she's like, what is taking you so long? I'm like, I'm trying to find somebody <laughs> who can, you know, open up and give me this blower, right? Like, right. our blower died at the house. Yeah. And um, she's like, what do you mean? You can always find somebody at Home Depot. I'm like, well, <laughs> evidently you can't except today. Because they lock it up. And it's locked up. And there's fewer people to help you. And But the Target mm-hmm. CEO is telling you that that's actually a positive. So well, maybe for them because they're decreasing the amount of that well, they but No, have. he says it's a positive for customers. Why? I don't know. I got to read the story. But my assumption would be is that at least the goods are there. You know, it, but again, it's a dumb comment. Frankly, it's a dumb comment and Target's price, even though it was up 17 percent, is way off its high. And I still think that they've got some major issues. If you have the same have item in a store, I can walk in and pick it up versus one. I have to wait for somebody yeah. and search you're not and thinking find. of the customer at all. You, yeah, I'm not going there anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's you're going to lose me as a customer. Not that I buy this stuff every day, but, you know, when you do, I don't have. I, don't I have a friend of mine in California who sent me a picture of a Target aisle. And it's. It's walled off on on two sides. You don't see any goods. It's just doors because everything is locked up. The whole aisle, no matter right. what you want to buy. So you need a personal shopper with you, basically. Yeah. Just how to will get I, anything, right? Anything. Walk around, unlock something. How much is your time worth that you're going to do that? That has led to 
more money going to Walmart, Amazon. and frankly, more money going to Amazon. Amazon's got to love it. Amazon's got to love it. So that's the way it is. Um, so I, you know. Well, they're killing themselves. Yeah, I'm heartbroken. Um, <laughs> so what you up for Thanksgiving there, Danny? You doing anything special? Work. He's he's gonna be do, he's gonna be fix, he's gonna be uh, working on his CRM and well, he's gonna be blowing the leaves off the driveway with his new blower. That's right. What leaves? Oh, what do they say in Texas? Even when the falling leaves are falling leaves, even just because they're dead from the heat, it's still. <laughs> well, we had that too. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is that all the leaves fell, you know, three months ago. Mm. It was 110 for 10 weeks. So we have all prices have been down another 5% Thursday, tw- off 20% off their highs. But I still think that you got some good buys in energy prices and more consolidation to come. We get back, we're going to talk about. Withdrawal rates, safe withdrawal rates. You're creating a retirement income paycheck. You've heard of the 4% rule, but let me tell you something. This safe retirement spending rate is all over the place. How can you figure it out when we get back? Stay tuned. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com i'm going to tell you where recency bias where You think the conditions that exist today are going to exist forever or really will hurt you. And that is when it comes to withdrawal rates for your portfolio. When you're looking to take a fixed amount out of variable assets like stocks and bonds, that is not an autopilot decision. That is a decision that is based on cycles and how markets are are working headwinds tailwinds <clears throat> what kind of cycle you're going to be retiring into even if you're in a tailwind and it's best to have a tailwind early in retirement is analyzing those withdrawals at least on a every three to four year basis so we always get danny during the pandemic, we got the, well, the 4% rule is really the 2.2% rule. Then Dave Ramsey. <laughs> oh, man, this is where. Oh, like, boy, Dave Ramsey. I'm going to tell you, Dave Ramsey does a lot of great work about people that he must be pulling his hair out. Oh, we have an area. When it comes to how people are spending. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Spending today. My favorite quote from this whole deal was what? So, so essentially, Dave Ramsey comes out and says there's an eight percent withdrawal rate. <laughs> Yay! If I'm okay. going to live five years, but he says 
he he blasted the people that says you know the real rates that you should be taking out are much less. And he mm-hmm. said basically these are super nerds who live in their mother's basement with a calculator. <laughs> I mean, that, that was my favorite quote from this whole deal. First of all, we don't have basements here. I would, if I had a basement, I would be in the basement with the calculator. So he's right. Nor do I live with my mother, but <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to live with my mother right now. Money, right? Yeah. I didn't want to live with my mother when I was younger. I don't want to live with her now, right. especially. Uh, she's in my closet. That's a long story. Um, the, yeah. So listen, there's a happy medium between 4% and 8%. It's your rate. It's what you need. But it's also dependent upon how those variable assets are performing. So Morningstar comes out and says, we have got our brain, our, our brain trust to create this and say, definitely a 4% withdrawal rate has a 90, 90% success rate over a 30-year time horizon. That's assuming a balanced portfolio of 50% stocks, 50% bonds. The highest starting safe withdrawal percentage since Morningstar began creating this research in 2021. That's a long time ago. Um, 2021, since th- that long. Well, um, Morningstar's been doing that much longer than David Blanchett was there. That, he, no, but, the, but, but David Blanchett was really great looking at the academic side of reality of how people spend, right? Retirement spending smiles, spending more then leveling it off in the, you know, active year spending first, then you level off for quite a period of time. And then as you age and healthcare costs increase, then that cost goes up. But she's saying the key tailwind for retirees is higher interest rates. How long she's trying to tell us that higher fixed income rates are here to stay. Well, in, and, but here's, and if, here's especially with everybody locking up all their money in the short end of the curve. That's the problem. Yeah. If everybody's locking up in the short end of the curve, the problem will be is that you're not, it's not sustainable. It's now, not. Now, you go longer and you say, hey, I, I need four. And I'm, and I'm buying a bond. Growth. And I'm buying a bond that's four. Correct. An individual bond. Right. Then, yes, I, th- I think that's fine. And, I, and yes, that we are in a much better environment. You do have, you've got the wind at your back. That's great. But the problem will be is that you're going to face that reinvestment risk. And Janet Yellen, they issued treasury debt. <laughs> what did they do? They issued short. Why? Because she believes mm-hmm. she's going to refinance this debt at a cheaper price in the future. Although whatever Janet Yellen's doing, it's scaring me. I know. I actually said that to somebody yesterday. I was like, you know, this makes perfect sense. But then I thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Wait, right. Janet Yellen. Danny. No, no. We need to do the opposite Coming of what to she's my doing. Fray, Danny. Come into me. Come over here. Walk yeah. into the Janet Yellen light. But I get what Dave Ramsey's saying too, though, Rich, because look. Plus, he thinks everything is going to earn 12%. Well, so. he's always said that. The problem is he doesn't understand the difference between arithmetic and geometric returns and how that actually works and how money works. You know, if you look at a fun fact sheet, that's way different than what your money does. You know, we've talked about this a lot with the rule of 72 and how, yep. you know, a yep. fixed rate of return is required to get that to double your money. We're not dealing with that. We're not talking about the math of loss. We're not talking. That's the problem I think that Dave is missing. And I also think in his defense, mm-hmm. some of these guys with the calculators in their mother's basement are <laughs> maybe a little disconnected from the average consumer and what they're actually doing. They're not real life planners. They're they're really good researchers. They're great with the numbers, but how money 
works and what well, people I don't do know. with it. Yeah, maybe he meant it that way. I guess you could think of it that way. And again, I think Dave Ramsey, one thing about Dave Ramsey I'll give him, he's steady with the message. No matter oh, how man. my how he gets berated by financial advisors. <laughs> he is fantastic for people who need to get out of debt. But at some point, and I think a lot of our clients have, <laughs> have graduated from the Dave Ramsey mm-hmm. kind of university, and now you can look at things that he may not like, and you can do things a little bit differently. From an investment perspective, but, uh, man, but I have a real hard time. I agree. But you cannot say the 4% withdrawal rate is back. You can say it's back for now because things change. Variable assets are variable. If you're telling me that I'm going to have a guaranteed income stream that's going to take care of most of the expenses that I need to keep a roof over my head, I'm okay with that. But I believe since 2019, and look at the S&P over the last two years, I'm usually off a year or two. S&P is not even where it was. What was the high on the S&P? 4,800? Yeah, what are we at? 4,500? 4,400? 45. Okay. Not that everybody has all their money in stocks. And it's great for fixed income investors to be the kids in the candy store, to, to your point, Danny, have these rates. But how many investors, how many investors do you talk to on their own are thinking about going out on the longer end of the curve and locking in the yields now that won't be here as opposed to being so tantalized by this short end of the curve, which is not sustainable for a 4% 30 years. She's assuming for 30 years, you're going to get higher rates on fixed income. That's well, you not can what the mac- if you lock in a, a 20 or 30, a, right? I mean, that's- yeah, and good luck trying to convince a nor a, just a day-to-day investor to lock up their money yeah. for a portion of it, right? They're not thinking of it that way. Fixed income is confusing to begin with. I've had more people call recently and say, hey, I know you guys like the long end. I'd like to maybe, how do we put more money there? Um, so I think it's, you know, and that's not the average person, but people have begun. Yeah. I ha- I've had somebody who was very, very conservative, fixed income portfolio. He's just little by little been buying bonds and CDs. And- you know, we've talked about adding to the long end of the curve for a while. Yeah. And trying to say, hey, you know, let's think about this in a couple of different ways. And he's finally like, hey, I think we need to do it. Like yesterday. Listen, I'm like, think, yeah, two weeks ago would have been great. I agree. I think the smarter investors, the more astute investors definitely are thinking along those lines. But I think you still need, and, and here's the problem with this. It's like, number one, what if you're wrong? Number two, when equities start returning and the markets participate as a whole, how are you going to feel when you're stuck at four and a half percent, five percent? And Michael Kitches talks about this, and I'm a big fan of Michael. Um, He's a great planner. This is what we worry about. Sequence of return risk. That's why I adjusted returns lower going forward in our financial planning software. A bear market after the day you retire is not that bad. It turns out there's no impact on retirement. But a sequence of returns of zero or sluggish returns over a period of time, a bad decade, as Michael talks about, that's what I'm worried about right now for retirees, anybody who's retired in 2019 on from now. That's what I've been concerned about. 
Well, it's not necessarily that and bad decade altogether. It doesn't mean that every year is negative. What it, it doesn't means matter. Is right. You have a very bad year or a couple subpar years put together. We may be going through that now. And you're taking distributions. And if you're taking 8%, it is going to be very difficult to keep, you know, your principal he, or to get back to even, even at that. And Michael's one of these guys who's in the basement with the calculator. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but he talks about 65 year old retiree planning for 30 years of retirement, facing 3% annual inflation, a million dollars, 60% stocks, 40% bonds would be rebalanced. Assuming stock returns of 10%, bond returns of 5%, average portfolio return of 8%. Yeah, if I'm using these linear projections, he says, then yeah, take out whatever amount you, you know, take out 6.6%, take 4%, you're going to be fine. But you have to keep in mind, and we're going to talk about this on the other side of the break, sequence of return risk is frustrating for an accumulator. It could be devastating for a retiree, especially as life expectancies increase although over the last couple of years that's iffy but longer term we are seeing a higher quality of life for longer we get back we're going to continue on this topic daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com If you are going to have sequence of return risk, and I do think sequence of return risk is fa is fairly high right now, guaranteed income becomes much more of an important part of your equation. If you're balancing scales during sequence of return risk, I want more guaranteed income while my variable assets sort of trail behind, especially for ex fixed expenses not discretionary expenses. One of my old professor mentors would say that that's, that's retirement nirvana is when you have all your guarantee, guaranteed income is covering, whether it's social security, annuities, whatever it is, everything you need to survive every day. And you don't have to worry about it. David Blanchett came up with a great study that said that people who have get guaranteed income, checks coming in every month, will spend more than those on variable assets. And that makes sense. Because the 4% that I'm taking today might be the 2% of tomorrow. So I got to bank some of that money to overcome the hurdles of the variability. When returns are bad in the first half of retirement, the safe withdrawal rate is not safe for the, all of retirement. In other words, when you first retire 
you want this incredible tailwind of returns. That tailwind, that wind in your sales actually will carry for 30 years. If you have poor returns at early in retirement, you have to manage your, you have no wind in your sales in the beginning. You could have wind in the sales in 10 years. It doesn't matter. The first Well, because you've depleted your capital so much. Correct. So you have to realize that the reality, so when we do plans, Danny, we talk about the reality of the numbers, right? The reality of the numbers of the numbers, valuations of the valuations, the guy in the basement with the calculator, math is math. If you're going to have great sequence of return risk, and we did these, we, we've changed these numbers to account for it in 2019. If this is going to be the case, we have to manage your distributions as such. You may not like it. You may not want to hear it. But as fiduciaries, we must tell you what our opinion is. Stocks aren't a panacea. They aren't going to get you out. They aren't going to make up for mistakes during headwinds. And if I'm in headwinds my first five years of retirement, then I've got a headwind for the next 25 years. No matter what tailwinds come later, because to Danny's point, I've depleted capital. That's why it's important that to understand that you will have a personal withdrawal rate that needs to be examined every few years, right, Danny? You, or we do have, and you have to make smart decisions with social security, pensions, and understand the value of an annuity bucket. Not everybody needs an annuity bucket, but some people do to carry them forward. Well, I think the annuity, the fixed income, there's so many ways that you can recreate that paycheck. And you mentioned it earlier. I mean, it certainly feels good when you say, okay, I know what my needs are. Here's how I'm going to meet them. Social Security, pension if you have one, right? I mean, I know those are basically extinct, but there are still some out there. Um, you know, you look at other any other sources of income that you may have. And then you start backing in mm -hmm. and saying, okay, what else can I do to recreate the paycheck, to live the life I need, to... Keep that roof over your head. Take care of your, your necessities. Correct. And then from there, you start to have a little bit more freedom. Where exactly. you can invest in the equities. You can have maybe an account that's a little bit more speculative. You can do things that give you more growth to keep up with inflation, to really make sure that you're seeing growth over the years. But like you mentioned, that sequence of return risk is so real those first two years. I mean, so how many studies show the first two years are so impactful? Absolutely. And, and then that really that first 10. Mm-hmm. And if you get in a bind, you're, you know, you may not get back to where you were. You may not see the growth that you expected. That can be problematic no, for some and, people. And, and Michael talks about this. This is what we do here. We do a dynamic strategy. Yeah, you say you start off at a good sequence of returns, right? You start at a baseline safe rate. You can continue that. Then you get a good sequence. And guess what? You give yourself a raise. Or you put guardrails in. He calls them bumper lanes at bowling alleys. If the portfolio's growing and you hit the bumpers, you get more, right? If, the, if, the, if your portfolio drops relative to the spending and you hit an upper bumper, you adjust downward. So you can't just say blindly in a variable asset portfolio, I'm going to just take 4% in la-la land every year. It doesn't work that way. If I were a retiree, Danny, see, I would find that stressful. 
I'm taking 4%. Now I got to take 2%. Like I would want a guaranteed income stream that buffets me from or buffers me or Warren buffets me <laughs> against this, right? I would want this kind of buffer to take care of my expenses. Listen, when I first started in the business, um, we would tell clients, take your Social Security early and invest it because I believed there was going to be this great tailwind to returns. In 2003, and I lost clients for doing this, I told clients, don't take your Social Security, wait, start pulling money out of your IRA first. And I got looked at like I had four heads. But that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. You have to adjust, right? Mm -hmm. Because variable assets are hills and valleys, and you have to adjust. And you could have, yeah, sure, every 100 years, markets always go up. You're not going to live 100 years. What if I get 10 years of sequence of returns? And I love that when somebody pulls what, out the, the history of the stock market. like, look at this graph. It's like, yeah, but look at the time. You may have 20, 30, 40 years that you're distributing assets. That's Yeah, if you go into that, right? Like we always say, those are vampire charts. Yeah. Like Count Dracula gets those kinds of returns because he can hold the stock for 100 years. Um, you can't. And that index can take stocks in and out. Right. Which right. is a big difference. So just be open-minded to crafting what your personal withdrawal rate happens to be. Part of your personal withdrawal rate is working longer or working another job. I just have a client that just took another job, um, a, a part-time job. They don't really need the part-time job, but it does affect the withdrawal rate of the portfolio, especially at times when things are rough. Because listen, if you have a diversified portfolio, you're not feeling good this year. You're feeling like crap. All right? You don't have your money in seven stocks. There's no advisor with a sane mind that's going to put all your money in one sector in, in, and in seven companies. It's not going to happen. You think you're going to find that, but you're not. And if you do have that, when those seven stocks do not perform, then that person's got to find the next seven. Good luck, right? You're going mm -hmm. to have consumer staple stocks. You're going to have utilities. You're going to have healthcare. It's just part of the program. And that's the way it should be. You're going to have stocks that pay dividends. And frankly, dividend stocks were the worst performers. And I want companies with robust cash flows and lower debt and growing earnings. But we get all wrapped up in the narrative. That narrative about Ozempic, because Americans aren't going to snack that kiboshed consumer staple stocks. You're telling me Americans aren't going to snack anymore and the market believes it? Come First on. Of all, I'm not taking any of that crap. I have someone who's taking that right now, and they're nauseous all day. Well, that's one why they're losing weight. Yeah, but why do I want to? And one woman just died because it slows down your total digestive system. She lost 36 pounds, but now she's really lost a lot of weight because she's not here. These narratives, and Lance talks about this a lot, that grip markets, if you're going to invest in these narratives— then you're just some, this is the most tribal kind of investing I've ever seen. I understand psychology and emotions and all that, but this is crazy. To tell me that Americans are not going to snack anymore is cuckoo crazy. 
Right, right, Brent? Absolutely. <laughs> and then you got to look at the companies. There are some companies that are still going to be, that provide healthy snacks. Again, you had a, Mondelez took it on the chin. Because you're telling me that no one's going to eat Oreos anymore. Come on. That is dumb. And then Mondelez comes out and their earnings are great. And now they've recovered everything they lost. If you would have reacted to this dumb narrative that people that take a drug that's going to make them squeezy and nauseous all day is how they're going to live their lives. I love it how, though, they, they, they pinpoint a specific snack. Oh, yeah. No. Well, actually, it did blanket a lot. But, yeah, you know. It's but like, what if it had the opposite effect? What if everybody said, you know what? I'm taking this. I'll eat whatever I want. What? Nobody's thought of that. Yeah. Like, I well, mean, hey, well, well, we don't need I don't that. Need we need healthy. Have... I can go eat this stuff because I'm not worried about necessarily. But the problem is I think it, it makes drug makes you nauseous. But so. how many people are actually worried about health other than worried about weight? Weight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Big difference. I'm going back to my basement. With, with my calculator? calculator yep, and my phone for the Butterball Turkey Hotline. If you want to call with the question, that's good. Is dark or white meat can, can better for find, the planet? Can you find a way to record this? Because I want to hear their <laughs> I will, reaction. I will try to record No, I'm serious. I really want you to I record I can it. record these. But then you got to tell them you're recording. I don't know. It feels weird. I don't weird. know. You're in Texas, right? What's the law? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to look that up. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. We won't see you. Or we won't be talking to you. And we're blank this morning on screen here for YouTube. But Lance is back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.